Recognizing that you are the problem, not yet the solution, is the key to any call that's unscheduled. Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 118th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Chris Beal to the show. Chris is the CEO at Connect and Sell, which is the world's only technology that gets your best salespeople 10 times more live conversations with qualified prospects every day and something that we're seeing as a massive opportunity for financial brands who are generating 10 times more leads for loans and deposits through the methodologies they are applying through the Banking on Digital Growth program. So welcome to the show today, Chris. It's good to have you here. Thank you, James. It is a wonderful day today. It is. And on that note, let's get things started off um, on the positive side. What what are you most excited and energized about right now? What's good for you? Well, two things. One is kind of personal. I have uh, finally managed to start writing the book I've been putting off for quite a while. I've been doing the podcast, 92 episodes, you know. It was all about the book, and I just finished chapter three this morning, and I like the voice, and I like the way it's flowing. So finally, 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 I'm excited about that personally. And professionally, really what's going on in our business is just tremendous. I mean, I hate to say we benefited from COVID, but we benefited from COVID. And now what we're seeing is that the hybrid work forever situation that some people are denying, and those people will find themselves on the wrong side of history that that is being very helpful with regard to having people kind of think through how does sales work? You know, if it's no longer just schmoozing, and I've got one company that we work with that's got about 400 reps, 400 producers in the insurance space, and they were never people who used the phone to do anything. They schmoozed. They took people to play golf. They took them to lunch. They did all that good stuff. It all sounds fun to me. I'm playing golf on Thursday. What the heck, right? But they didn't use the phone, and we we took them into Connect to Sell, taught them how to have great conversations, be confident and competent, and they're now the top producing company that we work with. And it's amazing to see guys who never called before, gals who never called before, converting a 25, 30, 35% conversation to meeting with CFOs. I'm curious to get your take on this because I'm in agreement with you that this work from home, work from anywhere will be a model that sticks around. Why in your mind do people fight that? What's the resistance? Because I mean, I think uh, even it, you know, a couple of the big national banks are like, you're coming back to the office. We're probably going to see a rubber band effect of people bouncing back the other way. But what's your take on this? 
Yeah, I think the reason that folks resist it is just unfamiliar. I mean, you manage a certain way, you know, and it works. And so it's like, well, let's keep doing what works. What's funny is this thing worked also, but it felt funny. It felt weird. It's like, oh, my God, you know, am I really in control? I really know what my folks are doing. I've got a, a situation indirectly. I know of a company where the CEO counts cars in the parking lot. It's a pretty good sized company. And guess what? The number of cars in the parking lot keeps going down because the people are leaving. And I think the reason it's here to stay has almost nothing to do with current employees. And that's what everybody's focused on. They're focused on our current staff needs to do X, Y, or Z. And we're going to tell them what to do. And God damn it, they're going to do it. Right. Right. And meanwhile, it's like, wait, aren't you competing for new staff over time? And it's their decisions that count because as long as there's a better offer and now a better offer includes, Hey, why uproot your family? That's a better offer. And they're going to take it. And I think too, it's almost like once, once people got the confidence to sell and to connect in, in this new type of reality, then it was like, Oh, now we're going to go back to the way things were before, but it's almost but the why it's, it's, it's that I, I, we have four kids and, and I hear each of my kids, why? And it's almost like they want to know that deeper meaning. And so let's reflect back over the last 12, 18 months, thinking about sales, the sales role at a financial institution, what has changed most, what has transformed most for them. And then to follow that, what are you most hopeful and optimistic about as we continue to move forward into this, into this new world here? Yeah, I think the big transformation is that folks had to learn how to play the trust game, so to speak, in the correct way when they're not physically with somebody. And I think that's just a case of you lose a little, you lose some means that you had before, that handshake, here's you know, here's the pen to take with you, all that kind of stuff, right? Right. And it, you gain something, which is you gain an awful lot of time. And you also gain something else, which is really the opportunity to be kind of in your own world, right? You're not on their turf. They're not on your turf. And I think that's been a big adjustment for people to figure out how to play in sales when you're not on anybody's turf. And that's really an interesting adaptation because we're very physical animals. And we do this thing that Oren Claff calls status alignment. And part of status alignment, in fact, he tells the story in his, in his book, Flip the Script, is a story of status alignment with a young person who's parking Oren's very fancy car that I don't know if he owns it or I think he does own it, at a party. And he flips the kid the keys because of what the kid said about the fancy car. And he goes, you know, I have confidence in him. And when I read the story, I thought very physical, right? It's not I hand you the keys and you can go park my car without ruining it. It was that flip of the keys that was part of the story. We're very physical beings. And we've had to get used to being not non-physical, just a little less physical. What I'm optimistic about is it seems like everybody's done really well at it. And they're learning simple little things. My fiance, Helen Fanucci, was giving a talk down in Dallas last week at a conference. She was doing a keynote. And she had two things in her keynote. It was about this revolution where we're all fighting for talent. The war is for talent now, not for customers. And that's like the big change, right? The war is for talent and you compete with everybody. It used to be with for customers and you competed with a few folks that you knew. So 
She has a slide that shows this transformation from the up and to the right chart where Microsoft or company is competing with three or four others to whoop, here's the talent in the middle of the picture. And suddenly the number of competitors explodes and becomes everybody, right? So here you have this, this massive thing. And she said, you know, one of the things that, that you can think about it, even when you're retaining talent is, do you set your Zoom meetings or your Teams meetings for 30 minutes or 25 minutes? She says, I've learned to set them for 25 minutes and everybody's life is better. Yeah. So I think we're learning, I'll call it the micro adaptations that we're used to in the physical world, mm -hmm. where in the physical world, we knew even stupid things like how to handle the metering light onto the freeway, right? It, it seems trivial, right? No biggie. You ever see somebody who just got their driver's license try to figure out what to do with that thing? Oh, yeah. It, it's not fun. It's not <laughs> fun, right? <laughs> so we get we do all these little things in life because we adapt them, then we forget that we adapted. We are now really doing a good job across the entire economy of adapting to a world where we don't get in a car, don't get in a plane, don't get on a train, but actually interact as human beings remotely. And I think we're just getting really good at it. And that's why I think this whole hybrid thing, it's not why it's going to stay. It's going to stay because the senior executives all move to wherever. And yep. they're not moving back. They're the ones who moved. Right. They had the money. They had it out. They're not moving back. So it's, it's an interesting times. You mentioned a couple of things that I want to touch on. It's this idea that we're no longer playing selling in a physical world people aren't coming to the branch anymore and if they are it's probably more transactional but but covid from the consumer side transformed that behavior uptick in mobile adoption mobile banking and i like this idea of what you mentioned we don't have home field advantage we're playing on a neutral field and i think one of the biggest opportunities for financial brands is to generate leads for a marketing team to generate leads digitally for a sales team to then follow up with, whether that be um, over the, whether that be through some type of set zoom like video conversation in that we found through our research, the, the, the faster that we can get one human being in contact and connected with another human being, there's a higher propensity for conversion, particularly in a complex sale, like a mortgage, for example, or a small business loan. And you note from our previous conversation that starting relationships with a human voice is not only essential, but it's critical for future growth. And that human voice could be over the phone, it could be video, it could be the podcast, even as we're talking... Talk to me about the human voice and the importance this plays in building relationships. Oh, yeah, it's my favorite topic. I mean, when we communicate digitally in text, we're really limited by the amount of information we can get across. And I'm an old computer science guy, right? I'm a physicist, mathematician who fell into doing computer programming because, you know, as Willie Sutton said about banks, it's why did he rob banks? It's where the money is. Hate to bring up an uncomfortable topic, but that's what Willie said. And uh, you know, wow, why did his I words? Up? His words, not yours. His words, not mine. But it is a great little phrase, and it does stick in your head, right? And uh, you know, so I got into programming, and one of the first things I did as a guy with a science background was ask, well, what's the science of this stuff? And it turns out it's called information science. And there's this guy named Shannon who wrote this thing, you know, this 
information theory up. And when you look at an email, email has about 5,000 bits of information in it. That is the equivalent of one quarter of one second of human conversation. If you can get somebody to read a whole email and get the emotions exactly right from your words, which they can't possibly do, no matter what kind of a writer you are, then you have gotten the equivalent of talking with them for one quarter of a second and listening to them for one quarter of a second. There's just not enough information in pure digital to start a relationship based on trust, because trust is not a thinking thing. Trust is a feeling thing. It comes from way inside our brains, the old, old brain, the crock brain that says, do I trust you? Or do I run away from you? And generally, I'm kind of triggered up to run away. That's that's my first thing to do. You're a stranger. I'm out of here, right? That's the safe place. Stranger and danger rhyme for a reason. So how do we overcome that, given that especially, I mean, a business to consumer, it's bad enough, right? I got to trust a bank before I'm going to trust them with my money because I care about my money. But if I'm running a business and I'm going to go into business with a bank, that's way beyond my money. That's everything. That's my family's economics, my kid's college education. It's my retirement. It's whether my dog loves me. It is everything. It's my legacy. It's my legacy. So how, how am I going to trust you compared to the next person? Well, it turns out seven seconds of conversation can get that done. Because seven seconds of conversation is what? Seven times four. That's 28 perfectly read and digested emails, which you can't achieve. So go get the seven seconds of conversation then send the email, then send the invitation to the meeting, then send the outreach on LinkedIn within the context of the trust that you built. It's interesting. I, I just took six days, complete digital detox. My wife and our four kids, we went down to the beach house in Galveston and it was a great time to just relax and reconnect and almost reset the brain. And I literally had, cause I, I come from an MIS background, management information systems, did a lot of programming back in the day, but I was on a run and I was thinking about if we can program computers, there's, there's that idea of programming the mind as well. You've got influence like with marketing and sales, you've got technology now, AI and automation, you've got human behavior, but, but the brain kind of sits at the, the, the center of all of this, and you're right, this this old brain, what I call the binary brain, because it's the, can I trust you? It's either a one or a zero. You bet. It's a true or a false. And I want to come back to this point about the seven seconds, these, these first seven seconds of a call, they're most crucial. Why is that? And really, how can you build trust in those first seven seconds? What is something, I'm a mortgage lender. I work in commercial, I work in retail on personal loans. What can I do? I get a lead from my marketing team, an inbound lead. I'm going to then do an outbound. So it's some, it's somewhat warm. There's still some like type of a need, but what can I do in those first seven seconds? Well, here's what you shouldn't do is refer to the fact that they put that they gave you the lead. It's like sending somebody an email and then calling them up and saying, did you read my email? It's like there's two answers. They're both bad. So that's a, just don't do that. Right. Hey, I see that you put in your stuff on my website. It's like, oh, I made that mistake. Wow. Thanks for reminding me. You know, mm -hmm. so you got to realize that the starting point of every single person you call when they realize they don't know you is that they're afraid of you. That's important. That actually is the best thing in the world, but it's also true. 
Why is it so good? Because because they're afraid of you, you're in control of relieving their fear because they're afraid you're going to try to do something to them, probably sell something to them. You know how salespeople like to corner people? Hey, if I could show you a way to save $178 a month and also keep your milk colder and have your kids love you more, would you immediately give me all of your money? That's kind of the salesperson's tactic, right? right. I'm going to corner you. I'm going to corner you. I'm going to corner you. And it's like everybody knows they don't want to be cornered. Nobody likes to be cornered. That's the worst thing in the world. So what you have an opportunity to do is to simply do two things. You can show them that you see the world through their eyes by being accountable for scaring them. And there's a really simple phrase you can use to make that happen. You have to say it just right. You just say, I know I'm an interruption. Because the fact of the matter is you're a bad thing. And if you say you're a bad thing before they have a chance to say it, even in their head, then you're ahead. You're ahead of them. You're showing them you see the world through their eyes. Then you just say in a playful, curious voice, you say something that offers them a solution to the problem, which is you. You're the problem. So offer a solution to the problem. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I call? Boom, boom, boom. The voice goes up a couple of times. It's playful. It's curious, and it offers a solution to the problem they have right now. Recognizing that you are the problem, not yet the solution, is the key to any call that's unscheduled. And this, I, I don't care if they've sent 500 things to you saying, call me, call me, call me. It's still cold. It's yes. cold in the moment. It's cold in the moment. So that's great. Problem is reps don't like to do this. And the reason they don't like to do it is who wants to throw themselves under the bus? Right. Who wants to be the bad thing? Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now back to the show. People reps, they think they're the hero in the narrative. And now I like how you're framing this, that they're actually the problem and people are afraid. It's that there's that human nature. It's coming back to the our, our earliest days of the cave. <laughs> we see another person. Well, they're a threat. We hear another person's voice. There's a threat. No matter how much they might have made that inbound request, you're still interrupting their flow, their day. And so the opportunity, if I could distill this down, is empathy, I guess, is it, yeah. it like, 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 yeah almost falling on your own sword, if you will. It seems like marketing and sales are always at odds with one another. Marketing is generating leads. 
and they complain to sales that you're not following up with these leads. Sales complains to marketing. They're not the right leads. Finger pointing and blaming leads to fighting. It's like my kids. They're always pointing fingers and, and who started what. And I'm like, I don't care. We're all on the same team. We have to work together here because that, that fighting leads to competition. That competition leads to chaos internally. And it's not collaboration. It's not growth bound. And how might, when we think about this idea of sales and lead gen for marketing, how might marketing and sales teams improve their relationships so that we get what we want at the end of the day, which is more loans, it's more deposits. We're all playing on the same team. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you kind of look at what each each side needs, and I will have them be sides for the moment because one is doing one. I mean, marketing could be outside the company for all you know, right? Sure. Outside the bank. And sales could be too, interestingly enough. Of, of all the functions in the world that you can move outside of, outside of the firm, you can move sales and marketing out. And if they execute perfectly, you don't care. Right. Because the back end does what the back end does, right? Yep. So marketing needs feedback. And the only way to get feedback is to talk to every lead that will talk with you. Because you, the feedback of silence is not a form of feedback in the marketplace. It just indicates you failed to get a hold of somebody. So marketing desperately needs feedback and doesn't get it from sales because of this simple mechanical reason. Sales has a one in 20 shot of getting somebody on the phone when they call them. And everything else results in silence. I send you an email. If you don't reply, that's silence. It's not feedback. People in, are actually treat, treating non-events as events. Oh, I made a phone call. You didn't answer. That's a step in my sequence. I was just talking to an expert the other day about this. And I said, why do you count a phone call, which didn't even happen as far as the prospect is concerned, as a step in a sequence? It's like, to the prospect, it didn't happen. So how could it possibly be important? And the answer is, well, because the reps got to make those every once in a while. So in fact, my whole business, all we do at Connect and Sell is say, look, where you say phone call, I'll say conversation. And if we have enough conversations, marketing gets feedback and can now tune up their lead gen mechanism to deliver more good stuff because they get feedback in this form, not opinions, conversation to meeting conversion rates. So marketing is expert at segmenting. If you give them feedback, they'll segment and then amplify the, the good stuff. With no feedback, there's nothing to segment. They're left guessing and salespeople's opinion is not interesting. Worse, Salespeople will say, this is a bad lead because they're hard to reach. I tell you, in B2B, the good leads are the hardest to reach. They're called busy people. Yeah. They're the ones <laughs> off making money. You right. can't bank with somebody who's not making money. That's a crazy thing to do, right? You got you to get conversations with busy people. Busy people will answer the phone about one in 20 times. Sales gives up after two attempts. So now we're left with what? The entire marketing input and that whole budget that went with it has just gone into a weird waste state. I, here's my analogy. I was once on the Isle of Skye and got to, got to go to the Talisker Distillery. I happen to like good single malt whiskeys. And so, you know, always, always take the kids, especially when they're old enough. And they were just old enough. So we go to this fascinating place where a bunch of oyster men are doing part-time work in a distillery. And here's the mother liquor over here, which is essentially beer. And there's a big pipe goes up into the ceiling, goes across to another building and comes down into the stills. 
Why? Because stills blow up every once in a while and you may as well contain the damage, right? Keep it over right. there. So here's this pipe and I'm looking at it thinking marketing is over here and sales is over there. Now, if this pipe were leaking 91% of the mother liquor on the floor, would you say you have an alignment problem? No, you have a leakage problem. You know, you can't tell if it would have been good, bad, or indifferent in the still unless you could deliver it to the still. And the phone call itself isn't enough. It's a 95% leakage operation. You got to have the conversation. Conversation. Yeah. And so the opportunity, and I took a note on this, an opportunity is to create that feedback loop for marketing through working with sales to get that conversation because calls aren't enough. It has to move to that conversation. And I think this is an interesting opportunity because 60 to 85% of all digital transformation projects fail, not because of technology. The technology is, I mean, at this point, it's pretty sound, regardless of the flavor or the brand or the platform. And we say pretty tech agnostic. And we see this particularly around things like marketing automation, CRM. And, and you believe that the most powerful part of any software system is the human being that we inappropriately call the user and that the value in software is to let the the technology the computer does what it does very well to go faster without getting bored in order to free up human potential and so what's the opportunity here for financial brands to free up the human potential to have more i think the end goal to have more conversations to maximize sales well i've got one point of view because when you run a business you end up with a point of view wrapped up in that business right it's one of the parochial issues of being a, a ceo is you get a little tunnel vision my tunnel vision is says this our salespeople are too precious a resource to waste doing anything other than talking to people and helping them see that there's potential solutions to the problems they have, which means eliciting confessions from folks about their problems. And this is a huge skill. If you have it, you should be using it all day long. That means they shouldn't be doing anything else. So they shouldn't be filling out data in a CRM. That should be done for them. They shouldn't be pushing buttons on a phone in order to get to somebody. They shouldn't be leaving voicemails that never get returned because that's not exploring a solution with somebody. That's just a little advertising. We should be freeing them up. Now, to free them up, it turns out with regard to the human voice, there's a problem. We used to do this easily in the 80s and the 70s and 80s, you know, when I was uh, you know, only 30 or 40 years old. <laughs> maybe, maybe I was younger. But in those days, we could call somebody and we'd get their admin if they were important, even at a small shop. They would put our name and number on a little pink note, and that CEO or owner or whatever would call us back. Why? Because they didn't want to miss out on potential business. And all that was there was our name, our number, and what we were calling about, right? And we'd right. get a call back. That ended when voicemail showed up, and it ended completely by 2005 when voicemail became ubiquitous and we all got used to letting our, our voicemail be our screener. So now we have the problem that everything goes to voicemail. So why not hire some people to navigate calls to voicemail 
for the sales rep. So the sales rep can do their job, which is eliciting a confession and helping somebody see the wisdom of moving forward to explore further, which is all we do in sales. We don't really do anything else, but it's a great, important thing. So one thing technology can do is let us divide jobs up differently than how we used to. Think about the job of driving to work. Uber figured out, and then Lyft followed, and others how to divide that job up in a regular car without having to go to a public authority to get the permission to drive somebody else. And now it's like the technology divided the job up, and what do I get to do when I commute? I don't commute anymore, but for a while, I get to sit in the back of the car, and I get to read, I get to work. I don't have to do the job of driving the car because I'm too valuable to drive cars in that sense, right? I'm not being arrogant here. I'm just no, kind of, of pointing out to my, comp- to my company, my time is worth more as a CEO than as a car driver to a bank. Your rep's time is worth more talking to prospects and listening to them than as a phone operator. And yet, without being a phone operator, you can't get conversations because everything goes to voicemail. I'm hearing... Issy Sharp talking in the back of my head, founder of the Four Seasons Hotel. He had a quote, systemize the predictable so we can humanize the exceptional. Yes. And this is where technology is a multiplier. Technology can augment so that we do get to spend more time having those conversations because you got to make the calls to get the conversations. But I think it's that point of after two attempts, no response, we just bell out. I will tell you, we have seen this through the research that we've done. We've done a lot of digital secret shopping studies with different financial brands, community, national, fintech. And it is typically the fintech and the digital players that are aggressively following up with inbound leads. And I know that there's some automation that's tied to this to get that conversation, to get that call and ultimately convert that cell. I'm not going to name names because of NDAs, but it's amazing. I mean, sometimes three months post, you know, starting a, a loan application for a mortgage, we're still getting phone calls and you're right. They're going to the voicemail, but they're not giving up. I want to look ahead to the future. Biggest opportunities available when it comes to maximizing sales for financial brands, where should they focus their thinking? And I think that's the critical thing. Let's start with thinking. Where should they focus their thinking to transform sales beyond what you mentioned before, beyond the physical world of brick and mortar? Well, now that sales folks are working from home, you have an opportunity to see how they're working. It's a mystery what somebody's doing at their desk. We've all done it. You look over at their desk, and you know, oh, I don't know what he's doing. And a pen in his hand, and wiggling his fingers or on the phone, but with whom? Right Now we actually have this wealth of information. And I think we need to just ask a simple question. It's actually two questions, which is what of the work that's being done is the work that makes sense for that person. That's why I hired them. Mm. So for an average salesperson, I would say the opportunity is take them from three minutes of work a day, talking to three people for one minute, to some bigger number. And then ask the other question, which is, and you do this by taking stuff off their plate. So we take off their plate navigating phone systems to nowhere. Okay, great. Somebody should take off their plate doing any work with the CRM and their fingers. The average salesperson is not a reader writer. They're a talker listener. 
So why do we ask them to read, write, and type just because the people who build the systems are comfortable reading, writing, and typing? There's a lack of empathy in the system builders and the system buyers who wow. say, well, these reps must be just like me. Why don't I have them enter data in the CRM? It's a bad use of their time. Provide them with the concierge who does that. You want to really make reps productive? Hire one person outside your company. Give them access to the CRM where they can do anybody else's work and let your reps just be able to say to that person in a voicemail, by the way, just say, hey, I need X updated, blah, 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 blah. It takes 15 or 20 seconds and they go away. And if there needs to be a little clarification, that person calls them back and they have a conversation and you get them out of the business of filling up the CRM. It costs no technology to do this. It will change their lives. They will never leave you. You know, you're actually hitting on some key points that we're just starting to explore. It's an idea that we're calling growth ability and growth ability or what are the three things that we get the most energy from? And because we get the most energy from them, we create the greatest value for the organizations where we work and everything else outside of those three things could be something that could be elevated to someone else. It might be a distraction. It could probably be deleted. And I can't help but think there's a an assessment we use called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. And Colby looks at the conative part of the brain. And uh, Kathy Colby and her her father came up with the Wonderlick test back in, in, in the day to test intelligence. So this isn't about intelligence. It's not about even emotion. It's about your operating system. And it looks at four areas, fact finder, follow through, quick start, and what's called implementer. It's like how you deal with things in the tangible world. A lot of the what we have found is someone in sales is a very high quick start, most likely going to be lower on the follow through side. And I think that's where the pain, the friction, the frustration with CRM and data entry comes into play. And I like what you're talking about. Like, well, it was built that way because there was a projection by the developers. Well, that's how everyone does it. So we're going to do this. But I like your solution. And I've had this experience myself. I think and I talk more than I probably write. Even when I wrote the first book, it was pretty much done through the words that I spoke out of my mouth. And so if there's a way to bridge that gap, it's a voicemail. Hey, update this in the CRM, 15 seconds done. I'm off to the next thing. Someone else can then take that time. That's fantastic. Thinking through this opportunity, other side, what are the biggest roadblocks, the biggest challenges that a financial brand and their sales team needs to be aware of going forward? Something that could hold them back, prevent them from making progress towards growth here. I think there's two things. One is the weight of tradition. It's very, very hard to examine traditions and, and break them down. I think what we do about it is break them down. Break it down to the pieces. Ask the questions you were just asking. Is this natural for this person to do it? Is it a best use of their native talents, their native capabilities? Do they like it? Something we tend not to ask. It's like, you shouldn't like your job. You should hate your job, right? Because I'm making you do your job because it's for me. It's not for you. Well, in this world right now, what will really hold you back is not getting that your employees are your new customers. Mm -hmm. They can go to work anywhere. They can go to work in places they don't even live. So look out because you think the great resignation is something. You ain't seen nothing yet. There's going to be the great poaching. 
And the yes. great poaching is going to make the great resignation look like a picnic. So, you know, it's, it's tradition that will keep people from senior people, especially those near the end of their careers. There's always a temptation when there's light at the end of the tunnel. I remember every time I ever went mountaineering, and I went mountaineering a lot, the most dangerous part of the trip was the quarter mile to the parking lot coming back down. Why? Because it was where my mind would start to, to think about the goal rather than where my feet were going. Right. And it doesn't take much. You don't have to fall very far. I've fallen 800 feet and I walked away. I've fallen two feet and I've hurt myself badly. So, you know, you're close to the end of your career. Why can't we just keep doing it the way we've always done it, right? Why can't the other is the opposite, which is the temptation that there's silver bullets out there in technology land without thinking through everything. And I mean, every single thing from the, from the perspective of the prospect. And I'll go back to the phone call. The phone call literally doesn't happen from the prospect's perspective. Mm. So why do you put it in your sequence? Why? Well, because the sequence technology says it should be there. Well, who built the sequence technology? Salespeople? No, some tech guys who came up with a great idea of building some sequence technology, right. <laughs> and then they could raise, what, $250, $500 million or whatever. And what feedback do they get? Well, feedback within the context of their sequence technology. Mm -hmm. Check it out. Go to a sequencer sometime and look at the number of past due phone tests. And then ask yourself, why are there 50 times more past due phone tests than past due email tests? You have your answer to you succumb to temptation and then didn't look to see what was really happening. Yes, yes. And, and Chris, this has been such a fantastic conversation today. I mean, what we're hitting on here at the very end, I think is so practical. It's so relevant. As we wrap up, what is one thing? Because to your point, it's being aware of the mind. It's not getting lazy. It's always looking towards the future and creating a future that's bigger than, say, the present or the past. What is one thing to begin to transform that mindset, which leads to a transform of a transformation of behaviors and actions and habits? What is one thing that someone listening could commit to do? to take that first step on that journey towards what we've been talking about here today? Just one thing, something small. The one thing would be to examine your belief in the value of the next step for the person that you're speaking with, regardless of whether you ever do business with them. If you can get to the point where you truly believe that they will get value just from the meeting you're offering, your business will explode. Everything else takes care of itself. There you go. It's that one small thing, transform the mind, to transform the behavior, to transform the action. And it all comes back to the beliefs. Chris, if anyone is, is listening, and it's a great way to wrap this up, wants to have a conversation with you about conversations, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Say hello. You mentioned a podcast as well. I think it'd be fantastic to, to share that with the audience sure. and the dear listener, just to continue to expand their knowledge here. Yeah, the podcast is called Market Dominance Guys. So it's at marketdominanceguys.com and apparently everywhere else on the earth. We're on episode 92. Who knew? It's an attempt to write a book that went bad and turned into a, into a podcast. And, uh, and I kind of like it. Then there's, uh, I, I'm at on LinkedIn a lot and I'm easy to find. I'm Chris Beal. I'm CEO of Connect and Sell. Throw me a LinkedIn invitation. 
refer to this podcast and we'll connect and talk. Connect with Chris, learn from Chris. Chris, thank you again for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today. All right, James, thanks so much. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.